If you got your Bibles, open up to 1 John chapter 2. We're continuing our study through 1 John, and uh, we continue continuing to go through these different tests that have been given to us over and over and over again. And the purpose behind 1 John is to know that you know. Now, you might remember this old phrase, right? Uh, maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you've said it before. Uh, if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it must be a duck. Now, you're probably saying, what in the world are you doing with this one? Well, let's think about this for a moment because the idea is if it looks and it talks and it walks, it must be what it says that it is. And the same is true of a Christian. If it looks like a Christian, now I'm just going to be honest with you. What does a Christian look like? I mean, just think about that for a moment. They have to wear a suit. They have to wear a long dress. Now, we've got the wrong idea sometimes of what it means to look like a Christian, but it simply means to look like Christ. It means to mimic him, to mirror image him. And I'll be honest with you, it's, it's easy to fool people into believing that we're Christians by the way we look, but it's not, you can't fool God. Now, I'll be honest with you, the easier part is to talk like a Christian, isn't it? We got the lingo down. Are you saved? Yep. You born again? Yep. We, we can get the lingo down. Can I tell you something? Most people that are, are non-Christians, they don't know our lingo. They don't get it. They're like, what do you mean born again? They're thinking of the psychiatric term where they wrap you up in some blankets and you have to push through like you're being born again. They don't realize it's a spiritual connotation that what he's talking about there is that the spirit has to come in and change you from the inside out and be born again that way. But you think about it, it can be easy to talk like a Christian. All you got to do is go to church a few times. You can learn the lingo. You can say the words without even knowing what they mean. But the hardest part is that last one. And that is you got to walk like a Christian. Because that means it's a daily journey. It's a daily walk. It means you're daily walking in the image of Christ, daily getting closer to him and looking less and less like yourself. You are daily becoming more like Christ and less like yourself. That's, that's the purpose in that walk. And that's the hardest part as a Christian to be honest. It's, it's hard to mock that. It's hard to fake that. But I'll be honest with you, and that's why a lot of people end up, as they go through their journey and they've grown up in church and they go through church and they sit back and they go, wait a minute, I'm not changed. My life has never been different. I've just kind of done the motions. Do you realize that the easiest way to hell is really only 12 inches? It's from here to here. You can have a head knowledge, but the question is whether you're surrendered, whether you're truly his. And that's what 1 John wants to break down. He wants to get into it. He wants us to see the evidence of what it really means to be a Christian so that you can get from here to here, to get from changing your mind for him to change your life. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to look at two aims to our obedience and assurance. Look with me in verse 3 of 1 John chapter 2. He says this, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I knoweth him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. The first aim for us as Christians is to keep his commandments. To keep his commandments. Now, in verse 3, he says, And hereby we do know that we know him. In other words, John keeps emphasizing this. He's already told us two things that we need to be doing if we know him. One, we got to walk in the light. In other words, we don't fear and we don't try to walk in the darkness. We don't try to keep our sins covered. We're willing to walk in the light for people to see who we genuinely are. I'm going to tell you what the world needs to see real Christians. 
The world needs to see genuine Christians. They need to see us. You ready for this? Even in all of our fallacies and sinfulness, they need to see we're real. One thing that drives me crazy is when a Christian says, I don't, I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this, and, and I don't ever really have to repent much. I repent daily. I mess up daily. I'm just real. Now, I try to get beyond that. I try to not do something foolish or sinful, but it just happens. And a lot of times we don't think about that. The moment we start to think we have arrived, you are in a lot of trouble. They need to see real, genuine Christians. We walk in the light. We are willing to, when we fail, admit our mistakes and move on and repent and get right with God so that they can see that, guess what? Even Christians make mistakes. It's okay. We walk in the light. And that's the second thing. We confess our sins. Why are you afraid to confess your sins? Here's the truth of the matter. The one you're confessing to already knows what you've done. He already knows what you've done. If you want to know that you know you've got to walk in the light, you've got to confess your sins. And third, you've got to keep his commandments. Because that's what he says here. If you want to know that you know, if we keep his commandments. Now, I'll be honest with you. Some of you probably look at it and go, which ones? All of them. All of them. Man, that's, that's hard. That, you mean I've got to read all the Bible to figure it out? Yeah, you don't get to skip the, the chapters you don't want. You don't get to skip over the commandments you don't like. You got to do them all. And you say, well, I don't know what all of them are. Then start reading. Start finding out. John 14, 15, John is just keeping up with what Jesus said. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's Jesus' words. He goes on a little bit later in that same chapter in verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he is that loveth me. He that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I love him, and he will manifest himself to him. Verses 23 and 24, Jesus answered, said unto him, If a man loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Five different times Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, I'll be honest with you, Jesus broke it down into two easy commandments. You got that, right? But I want you to know that everything hinges on those two. The whole Old Testament law falls into those two. All the commandments of God fall into those two. They are this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. You get that. All your heart, your soul, and your mind. And Mark even says your strength. All that you are. And he says, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, but Jesus don't know my neighbor. (laughs) Jesus didn't have a neighbor like me. No, he had a Judas. He had it far worse than you. Okay? Love is commandments. It means you do as Jesus did. It means you follow what Jesus tells us to follow. It means we do it. And here's the thing. And we do it with the right attitude. Listen to 1 John 5, 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. 
Man, it always kills me when Christians go, man, there's just too many commandments and things that I need to do for God, and, and I just don't like doing all of them. Maybe you need to check your relationship. Because the Bible says we won't be grievous towards those commandments. We'll realize that God has given us those commandments. Because what is wrong with loving God and loving your neighbor? Please explain to me how that's a bad thing. Again, the problem is, is who you declare as your neighbor. But the truth of the matter is, is we're called to not only love our neighbor, we're called to love our enemies. We're called to love them, pray for them, and even be willing to let them persecute us. Because of our love for them, because of what Jesus did for us. We keep his commandments. It doesn't matter. We don't get to pick and choose which ones we like. We don't even get to pick and choose the people we love. You don't. You got to love them all. For God to love the world. That means everybody. That means you got to do the same. But we keep his commandments. And you think about this. When a rich young ruler came up to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, he asked him a pertinent question about salvation. And in Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16, it says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? That sounds like a pretty good question, but the problem is he's asking, What can I do? What good thing can I do? But look at what Jesus said. He says, Why do you call me good? There's none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Listen to this. He saith unto him, which? In other words, just give me a few. Which ones? Can I follow those? And here's what Jesus said. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, all these things I have kept from my youth up what lack I get that's a pretty good guy isn't it if he's really kept all those commandments from the moment he was a child up that's a pretty good guy you'd think that all of a sudden you got somebody that can enter into heaven by his own good works wouldn't you but look at what Jesus says in verse 21 if thou wilt be perfect if thou wilt be perfect because I need you to understand that's what is required to go to heaven to be perfect. Any perfect people in here? Okay, I just thought I'd look. I'll make sure I didn't miss anybody. Stand up if you're perfect. I don't want to miss you. I'd like to know how you do it. Okay, no perfect people. Just making certain. He says, if you want to be perfect, go sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You say, what commandment was he dealing with there? He was dealing with this one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. Because if you love him with all your heart, soul, and mind, you'll do whatever he tells you to do. Even if it means selling everything and following him. Because he said to follow me, you got to what? Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and come follow me. Over and over again, he never made it easy. He just said, look, you got to follow my commandments. And we don't get to pick which ones. We simply got to follow them wholeheartedly. James makes this statement because I want you to understand, it's not by your good works that you get into heaven because every one of you in here declared you're not perfect. The only way we become perfect is through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And you say, well, how do you become perfect? You take on his righteousness by giving him your sin. It's that simple. But listen to what James says in James chapter 2, verse 17. Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. There are a lot of people who say, well, I'm a Christian. I have faith in Jesus. 
But their life never shows it. They never live it. Their walk doesn't match their talk. I'll be honest with you. There are a lot of people in the church house that will get their ticket to heaven and they think they're good. They think they're going to heaven because they prayed that prayer when they were younger. And they, they got baptized in the baptistry and they work in the church some and they help out in the nursery. And so they've got that ticket to heaven. But that's not at all what the scripture tells us. It tells us that our faith will work. We don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved. We work because we want to glorify God. We work because we want God to use us and bring glory and honor to his name. We do those things because we are saved there are really no couch potato Christians they do not exist it's an oxymoron James 2.26 for as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead also again we don't work to earn our salvation we work because we are saved and it's not your work that saves you it is your faith and complete trust in Jesus Christ that's it. But we got to follow and keep his commandments. It proves that we're truly his. I'm afraid Matthew 7, 21 is something that is going to be real for a lot of people in a church house. Look at this verse, Matthew 7, 21. I got it up here for you. Listen to this. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Do you get that? It's not just lip service. It's those that do the will of the Father. Because if you call him Lord, you will live it. If you say that Jesus is the Lord of your life, then what you're basically saying when you surrender to him is, God, my life is no longer mine to live. It's yours. You take it. You do with it what you want. I love Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's not my life to live any longer. The moment I surrender to Jesus, I say, I surrender all. All. I don't get to keep back a portion and say, well, I'd really like to do a few things on my own. No, I give it all to him. I give it all to him and I say, God, I trust in you completely. There is no other way for me to get to heaven except through your son, Jesus Christ. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And I put all my surrender, all of my eggs in your basket. I give it all over to you. And now my life is yours. If you haven't done that, then you don't know Jesus. Please understand, I'm just not, not going to sugarcoat it this morning. It is a full-on I surrender. You throw up the white flag. You tell Jesus you can have it all. I don't get to keep any of it. It's all yours. You did it all for me and I give it all to you. That's it. The moment we think we can take it back is the moment we're in great trouble. But he says, not everyone. This, this verse has haunted me ever since I've read it. Some 20 some years ago. Not everyone who saith unto me, Lord, Lord. We want it to be that simple, but it's not that simple. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom. Can you imagine on the day of judgment, there'll be some church people standing before God at the great white throne judgment. And they'll say, God, I went to church. God, I served in the nursery. I even taught a Sunday school class. I served as a deacon. I did all these different things. I've been in church from the time I was wee little all the way till I died. I've done all this stuff for you. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because you never surrendered to him. You just played church. I know it because I played church for 13 years. From the time I was 5 till I was 18, I played church. 
I wasn't fully surrendered. I wasn't all in. I played the church game. I sang the songs. I turned my Bible. I prayed when they prayed. I knew some of the answers in Sunday school. I did it all. I went through the motions. And here he's saying, guess what? Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. In other words, you can claim it with your mouth, but if you don't live it with your life, you are fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. In verse 4, he wants to use the opposite. He says, you know that you know if you keep my commandments. But verse 4, he says, he that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments. Look at what God says to you. You're a liar. And the truth is not in him. I'm going to tell you what, that's one of the most hurtful statements to make to somebody, isn't it? You are a liar. Now, here's the thing. It's difficult to hear, especially if it's true. Because usually when you're caught in a lie, that's tough. And here, the truth of the matter is, is God will catch you in your lie. Because if you say you know him and you don't keep his commandments, he'll tell you to your face you're lying. You're lying. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says it this way. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. Look at that. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. Being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. Do you think Paul played around with Titus? Do you think Paul was, Titus was a young preacher and he's like, look, let me just give it to you straight. There are a lot of people out there that profess it, but don't live it. That's true. It's oh so true. But the good news, it doesn't have to stay that way. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Here's what Peter says. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end. For the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. In other words, if you've taken hold of Christ, don't go back to that old life. That life has been buried. That life is dead. Don't dig it up. Don't bring it back. Don't go back. I had a lady one time, she told her husband, she was praying that he got saved. He got saved and he really, his life changed. And I remember when she said this, she said, he was more fun when he wasn't a Christian. Well, man, that's sad. She wanted him to still go to bars with her. She wanted him to still do all the things with her. She wanted him to do. He, when he got changed, he got changed. Obviously, she didn't. You got that, right? Oh, I wanted him to be saved. When he got saved and he got changed and he stopped doing the things of his old life. And she wanted to keep doing the things of her old life. God would have looked at her and said, you're a liar. But he's not. He's been changed. Here Peter goes, man. He says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust. How many of you remember what you were like before you were in Christ? I do. Man, it's by the grace of God. I look back at that old life and I go, thank you, Lord, for delivering me from that. Because I'm here to tell you, I'd probably be in jail or dead. I know it. 
I'd have no purpose. I talked to a young lady yesterday. Before I got saved, I had no purpose in life except to live for me. Do what I wanted to do. John was God then. And man, when I surrendered and turned it over to Jesus, I said, you know what? It ain't my life to live any longer. It's yours. I got rid of those former lusts and I turned it over to Jesus Christ. I love Romans 8 verses 13 and 14. Listen to this. He'll put it up there. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Man, there's a difference. When you get saved, there's a change. There's a transformation. And what he says in verse 5 of 1 John 2, he says this. He says, but whoso keepeth his word in him, verily the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we are in him. There's that word perfect again. That's where we got to be. You want to know how the love of God is perfected in you? When you love God with all your heart and soul and mind. When you love him with everything you've got. And you love your neighbor with everything you've got. And guess what? It goes God, neighbor, self. It will be perfected in you. Because here's the truth of the matter. That's the way Jesus lived, wasn't it? The Father was first. Then he died for your sins and my sins and all the sins of everybody in the world. Everybody that would curse him and blaspheme him. Who would murder and commit adultery. Every liar, every thief, every problem, every sinful man, every sinful woman, every sinful child. He took every single one of their sins. Put it on his body on the cross and he died willingly for you and me. He put himself last. The Father first, you second, and himself last. And he died for us. Anybody ever done that for you? Only one I know. That's how the love of God is perfected in us when we obey his commandments. Could you imagine one day when you get to heaven, don't you long for those? I long for the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Let me tell you something, that'll be better than any pat on the back I've ever gotten. That'll be better than any time somebody's come out and said, that was a great sermon this morning. The greatest, the greatest words I ever want to hear are going to come from my heavenly Father. And I pray I hear them. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. And when you're surrendered, that's all you care to hear. If your aim as a Christian is to keep the commandments, not just a few, but all of them, and you say, I surrender all, you can know that you know. But second aim is to abide in Christ. Listen to verse 6. And he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. He that abideth in him. That word has, has taunted me for so long. I'm like, what does that mean? I'm just going to give you a simple definition of the word abideth. It means to dwell. It means to live with. It means to have him live in you. It means that he is with you all the time. You take him wherever you go. He hears everything you say. You want him there with you. You want that friend that sticks closer than a brother. You abide with him. You want him there. You don't walk into a place and go, no, no, Lord, you stay out here. I got to go do a few things in here. He abides with you wherever 
You want him to go wherever. You want him to see the deeds that you're doing. You want him to hear the things that you're saying. You abide in him. In fact, in 1 John 3, 24, John says it this way. He says, and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him. Dwelleth in him. And get this, and he in him. Not only do you abide in Jesus, but Jesus abides in you. Where have you taken Jesus that he didn't belong? What door did you have to close to do what you didn't want Jesus to see, but he still saw? What conversation did you have about somebody you shouldn't have been talking about that Jesus overheard? You see, you can't get away. When he abides with you, you want him to be there. In fact, the thing is, is when you abide in Christ, you ready for this? You will be fruitful Christians. John 15, I love this. John 15, Jesus begins here in verse 4, and he says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in Christ, you will be a fruitful Christian. You get that, right? You'll bear fruit. People will know you're a Christian by the way you live. You won't have to tell them. They'll know it by the way you live. They'll say there's something different about you. But you want to know what the problem is today in the church? We have too many artificial flowers. You know what an artificial flower is, don't you? It's plastic. We got a lot of plastic Christians. Plastic Christians. You understand that, right? This can't bear fruit. It will never bear fruit. It looks fruitful. It looks good. And there are a lot of people in the church house that look fruitful and they look good. But if they test and check their own heart, they'll know they haven't done it for God. They've done it for themselves. You see, here's the thing. The Bible teaches us that you'll bear fruit and you'll continue to bear fruit. In fact, the the seed that was thrown on the good ground, you get this. The only saved ground was the good ground because it bore some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. All the rest of them withered away. Why? Because 1 John 2.19 tells us they went out from us because they were never of us. Please understand, that doesn't mean you have to leave the church to not be of us. It just means you don't follow Christ. You don't abide in him. You don't live for him. You don't walk as he walked. He says, he that saith he abideth in him. Listen to this. Ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Man, I looked up that word walk that he uses here, parapateo, and I said, what, what is he talking about here? Well, he talks about several things. They're going to put them up here for you. 1 John 2 and verse 6. No, that's not where I'm at. Romans 6, 4. If you'll put that one up there. Walking in newness. We're called to walk in newness. Look at what it says here. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that we, like as Christ, was raised up from the dead. By the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. How many of you like a, a new car? Anybody like a new car? How many of you just like that new car smell put into your old car? 
<laughs> You're like, no, that, that's not the same. We like new things, right? We like to go buy new things. Jesus said, you're new. So if you're brand new, why in the world do you keep going back to the old? In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 17, he says he's made us all a new creation. Look at this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. you got to walk in this newness. Man, you remember the first time you bought that new car and you drove up in it? You wanted everybody to look at your new car, didn't you? You see what I'm driving? I got a Honda Civic. <laughs> Don't be jealous now. You think about it. Man, when you bought a car, you wanted everybody to see it. You wanted everybody to know that you got a new car. Even if it was a used car, it was new to you. You wanted people to see that because it was something that was new to you. You were excited about it. When you become a Christian, there should be an excitement in your life that you just don't ever get over. That's why I love what Johnny Hunt said one time. Somebody asked him, said, man, said, why do you seem to be so on fire? He said, I never let anybody put it out. Don't let anybody put your fire out. Walk in newness. Walk in the Spirit. Romans 8, 4. Walk in the Spirit. Look at this. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Can I tell you something? When you got saved, you got the most precious gift you could ever imagine. And that is the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He convicts of sin. Oh, that does not feel good. But it's good once you confess it and get rid of it. He convicts of sin. Not only does he convict of sin, but he teaches you. And he trains you. And he reminds you. And he lives through you. And he fills you. And he uses you. And man, I'm telling you, there's power in you when you become a Christian that you've never had before. In fact, it's called the dunamis of the Spirit of God. You got the dynamite of God inside of you. Man, if you ain't exploding over, you in trouble. The Holy Spirit, we got to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 also tells us how to walk in the Spirit. It says, then I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Man, in other words, you're going to start doing different things. You're going to start living in a different way. You can't go back to that old man. Not only are we called to walk in the Spirit, number three, we are called to walk as ye are called. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Walk as you're called. But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. God has called you. If you're a Christian, you realize that God has given you a gift. Question is, are you using it? Every single one of us, you say, well, I'm not called to preach. Not everybody's called to preach. I'm not called to sing. Not everybody's called to sing. I'm not called to serve in nursery. Not everybody's called to serve in nursery. But you're called to something. If you do nothing, you're like the guy who took his talent and he hid it in the ground. And when God came back and he's going to require something from you, you go, Lord, I knew you to be an astute man. And so I took and I hid what you gave to me and I buried it. And there it is. And he's going to say, get out of my sight. You unfruitful person. Man, we've got to bear fruit. We've got to walk as we're called. Ephesians 4.1 also tells us to walk as we're called. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. That's right. Paul was called to be a prisoner. Can you believe that? Jesus just might tell you to go to prison. Now, it better be for the right reasons. 
Okay? Because Peter does tell us that if you're persecuted for righteousness, and it may be coming here soon. I therefore, the prison of the Lord, beseech that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. You ready for this? God has put you in your job where he wants you, and he wants to use you right where you're at. God has put the co-workers in your path that he wants you to witness to, that he wants you to make a difference in their lives. He wants you to stand up and be a voice for Jesus right where you're at. You don't have to work in the church to serve the Lord. You can work wherever you're at and serve the Lord. Walk worthy of your calling. You say, well, brother, I'm retired. Good. Then you got more time to serve him. And you got more influence than you could ever imagine. Not only are we called to walk as we're called, we're called to walk in faith. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Let me tell you something. We live in a day, we got to walk by faith. We can't walk by sight. If we walk by sight, we'll fear everything. We'll never meet together again as a church. Because there's too many things out there to keep you from church. If you walk by faith, here's the thing. You're trusting that God's going to take care of you. And here's the thing. And I don't mean any disrespect in any way about this. But if you walk by faith and you die, you've received your reward. Why are we fearful of death? We've received our reward. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you ain't living for the next life, then you ain't ready to go. If you ain't ready to go, you might want to check your salvation card. We got to walk by faith. Fifth, we got to walk in good works. Ephesians 2.10. Most people read Ephesians 2.8.9, but let's read number 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You're his workmanship. Some of y'all think to yourself, well, God messed up with me. Can I just tell you something? God ain't never made a mistake ever. Not with you, not with anybody. God has not made a mistake. You are his workmanship. And he wants you to serve him and to be used by him. You say, brother, you just don't know my past. My past is so tainted. My past is so horrible. Let me tell you something. When God forgave your past, we have no right to hold it against you either. You got that, right? That ain't my place to hold it against you. It ain't nobody else's place to hold it against you. If you've given your life to Jesus and he's cleansed that old life, you are a new man. That old man's dead. We got to walk in good works. We got to walk in love, Ephesians 5 2. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Let me tell you something. If Christians would just learn to love, we would change the world. I'm serious. If we would just learn to love each other, isn't it amazing? I, I grew up with two brothers. Man, we fought all the time. I mean, I'm saying physical brawls where we bloody each other. Might even break something. I broke my younger brother's foot. Accidentally. But let me just tell you something. Either one of my brothers could call me at any time. Hey, I need you. I'll drop whatever I need to do and go see him. You don't know why? Because I love my brothers. They're my family. You realize you're my family too, right? 
And I love you. And if you need anything, I'll drop what I'm doing to help you. Because that's what we're called to do as Christians. Every one of us should have that mindset. Because we love each other as Christ has loved us. Walk in love. Walk in the light. Ephesians 5.8 For we were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. In fact, First John, I don't want to preach this too long. First John 1, we already read this one last, uh, two weeks ago. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. We got to walk in the light. Walk in the light. Not be ashamed of who we are or what we do. We've got to walk and then finally got to walk worthy of Christ. Colossians 1.10. Walk worthy of Christ that you may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We sing a song sometimes that says, is he worthy? The answer to that question is, he is absolutely worthy. My question for you is, are you walking worthy? Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.12. That you would walk worthy of God who has called you into his kingdom and glory. And then chapter 4 and verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received us, how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. My question for you today is really simple. Are you walking to please God? Or are you walking to please yourself? Are you walking to please others? I can tell you there have been times in my life where I walked to please others. I did. I walked to please others. But it's not about pleasing others. It's about pleasing God. It's about doing what God wants us to do. It's about walking worthy of the calling he's called us to. It's about walking in that newness. It's about walking in the spirit and walking in the light and walking in love. It's about looking like Jesus. There should come a day in your life where you look into the mirror and you don't even recognize yourself anymore. When you look in that mirror, you say, oh, what a mighty God I serve who has changed me. Do you look like a Christian? Do you talk like a Christian? Do you walk like a Christian? If you do, you'll keep his commands and you'll abide in him. I pray you're not like this fake plant here. You might look good and you might can fool man, but you'll never fool God. Only he knows and you know. And that's the truth. I don't know. Only he knows and you know. If you are fully surrendered to him.